Welcome, everyone. This is the I'm Speaking podcast hosted by Mercy Hernandez and Priya Namar. We're speaking because you've been asking. Join us for a new season as we open up, speak up, and uplift voices everywhere. And of course, all views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the hosts and do not represent any outside entities. We have a lot to say, so let's get started. This is the I'm Speaking podcast with Mercy and Priya. Welcome, everybody. We're here at I'm Speaking Because You Asked. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a special guest. Our topic today is endometriosis, and our guest is Zuhela Jason. And welcome, Zuhela. Hey, welcome, how are you? It's so nice to have you. Thank you. Really glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm going to introduce her real quick, and then we'll get into what endometriosis is. Suhela is a proud native New Yorker actress and theater educator. She's currently teaching and an educational theater grad student of City College of New York, dedicated to ensuring that arts education in New York City public schools is equitable. She knows firsthand how equitable the public school system can be as a first-generation American navigating public school with a passion for the arts. She also uses her platform to speak out about her struggle with endometriosis and her continuing fertility journey as a woman of color with stage four endometriosis. Welcome, Zuhela. Hey. <laughs> now, this is a really tough topic, and um, Zuhela is going to be sharing her personal story today. So, um, I know a lot of women out there have this condition. Um, I'm going to say really quick what the medical definition is. And of course, just a disclaimer for everybody listening, we are not medical professionals. Zuhela is not a medical professional. She's speaking from a personal experience, um, but we thought it was important to share this information with all of you. Okay, so what is endometriosis? Is a common gynecological... <laughs> We're ready the first word. It is a common gynecological condition affecting an estimated 2 to 10% of American women of childbearing age. The name of this condition comes from the word endometrium, which is a tissue that lines the uterus. During a woman's regular menstrual cycle, this tissue builds up and is shed if she does not become pregnant. Women with endometriosis develop tissue that looks and acts like endometrial tissue outside of the uterus, usually on other reproductive organs inside the pelvis or in the abdominal cavity. Each month, this misplaced tissue responds to the hormonal changes of the menstrual cycle by building up and breaking down just as an endometrium does, resulting in small bleeding inside of the pelvis. This leads to inflammation, swelling, scarring of the normal tissue surrounding the endometriosis implants. When the ovary is involved, blood can become embedded in the normal ovarian tissue, forming a blood blister, surrounded by a fibrous cyst called an endometrioma. And so that everybody knows, doctors, and this is coming from the hopkinsmedical.org, um, and they're saying that there's no real determination of what causes endometriosis. There's no medical determination for it, but they do know it might be genetic. Um, so Zuhela is going to share her story today, and we're going to talk all about it and find out exactly what is it and what her experience has been. Yeah. So, Zuhela. Yeah. <laughs> did I miss anything? I mean, how no. Let, let's get started. So I, I know this is a constant battle for you. Um, 
when did you first learn that you had endometriosis? So the thing is endometriosis can't be diagnosed just by like symptoms. You have to have actual surgery for them to take out that tissue and then biopsy it and then say, okay, you have endometriosis. So the word has been thrown around since I was about, you know, 15, 16 years old. Doctors were telling my mother, it's probably that she has this, but she's too young to have this surgery. You know, like they, they don't, they don't want to go in and start, you know, moving things around, especially in such delicate areas. Cause mm -hmm. one of the things with that surgery is that you can end up losing ovary. That was like, I remember before my surgery, that was like the moment of like instant panic was when the surgeon came in for me to sign like the release forms. And he was like, if we must remove one, we'll try to save at least one ovary. And I like wow. just broke down and I was like freaking out. I, I, that was the moment that I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And that was last year, August, that I did that surgery finally and got diagnosed as stage four endometriosis. Um, I had that tissue um, that they're talking about outside the uterine all the way up until my diaphragm. So wow. it was surrounding my organs, my colon, my like everything. There's still pieces they weren't allowed to take out of the end um, of my diaphragm mm -hmm. because it would cause chronic lifelong pain if they removed pieces of the diaphragm. So like I still now um, when I am on my period, I'm feeling like really bad pains across my diaphragm area, even though everything else was removed. So there's still like, instead of cramping in my, in my uterus, I have cramping and like, I vomit and things from up here. And wow. it's very, yeah, it's a, it's a very painful experience that pain up here. So the, what we were saying before in the medical definition is that the blood leaks out of the pelvis. So that's what's happening when you're saying. Yeah, but it's in my organs. Yeah. Like before it was in everything, it was covering everything. They said that they had to like put back my organs, like back where they had to be because it was like binding up everything all the like tissue was binding it up mm -hmm. my so that surgery supposed to it's a laparoscopic surgery so it's with like you know little fine microscopic tools and it's supposed to be an hour and a half procedure my procedure lasted six and a half hours my mom was outside panicking she was like I haven't heard from the doctor I haven't heard they had to bring in a specialist for my colon because it was attached to my uterus, like everything was attached to itself from this, like the bonding of all these like pieces of tissue that were like pulling my organs together. Oh my goodness. How old were you when you, when you found out? <clears throat> that was, uh, that was last year. So I was, I had just turned 30. It was during the quarantine. Um, I literally found out that I was going to need surgery because me and my husband had been trying to get pregnant for almost a year. And, um, at that point, and I, then my like bleeding had gotten worse. I was getting like, I was getting more and more sick uh, every period. And I had always had really bad periods, but this was like, I had never had like excessive bleeding and things like that. And as we tried to get pregnant, it was getting worse. So then I went to see the doctor and we did, um, we did a, what's it called? A CAT scan. I think that's the one. And we did that. And she was like, all your, all of your ovaries and things are attached to themselves. There's nothing getting through. So you need surgery. And that was like literally the first day of quarantine. I did that test. It was just before they shut down hospitals for any other things before it was like March. What was it like March 17th or something like that? Just the day the school closed, I had an appointment. I went in 
And um, then the next day was like the highest numbers in New York City. That was like, I got that phone call on top of it. So I literally like had a meltdown. I was like, well, and she was like, oh, and you can't have the surgery because COVID. Like we, we don't know when you're going to have this surgery as of right now. And so I was just like stuck in this limbo after like almost a year of trying to get pregnant and not being able to do anything or like have any control in what was happening. So it was really rough. <laughs> That's crazy. Let me tell you, I, I had um, what they considered at the time stage one endometriosis. And they found it because every time I got my period, I would throw up. I mean, like, like I had a stomach flu or poisoning. Mm -hmm. It was bad, 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 bad for like the first couple of days. And the bleeding was just excessively like a horror movie. It was just so bad. And I tried getting pregnant for seven years. Um, and I just knew that it wasn't going to happen because of everything. And I didn't have the surgery back then. They weren't even offering the surgery. They did the biopsy, um, and they would tell you, but then that's as far as it went at the time, mind you, I'm 55 and my first daughter, my oldest daughter, because I ended up having three, my oldest daughter is now 28. So we're looking at seven years prior to that when, when I started trying um, so after I had the girls, so during the period of time that I got pregnant to when I had my last daughter, everything seemed to calm down on its own naturally. It just, everything went into place. I don't know what happened. My periods were okay. Um, being pregnant was like the biggest pleasure ever, because even though I had morning sickness, I didn't have, you know, the episodes every time I had my period. So that was amazing. I wanted the baby out like at nine months because it was so heavy and so uncomfortable and I couldn't breathe and all these things, but I dreaded getting my period again. So I know that feeling. And so shortly after I had my last daughter, a couple of years later, I ended up having to take everything out. They went in to do a cleaning and they told me, we're going to try to save your ovaries because you're young and we don't want to, you know, take those ovaries away because they represent so many things in your body. Um, I mean, so many different things that, that your ovaries control as a woman in your body and you need them, you know, you need them until you're at least in your probably sixties or late fifties. And I said, okay, okay. But you need to sign this waiver that we might have to remove an ovary. And I said, all right, you know, at this point I had my girls, so I was okay, but they ended up having to take everything out. And I went into instant menopause and I was in my 40s like instant yeah. and it was at another level so the hardship is hard but I just wanted to throw that in there because I know that you're trying and I just want to tell you that there is hope so go on tell us more about yeah. your story <laughs> no thank you I appreciate it that that that's a struggle it's a struggle because it's like something you want so badly and then it just feels like the finish line's always getting pushed because of something so it is rough. It is a struggle. Um, I'm, I'm with a fertility clinic right now. We've been working at it. I've, I have lots of eggs that nice embryos that are healthy. So like me and my husband are very lucky because a lot of women with endometriosis, their egg counts um, suffer. And that was something that I didn't um, have. So it was, I was really lucky. My actual like eggs have been preserved really well. So like the endometriosis had an attractive and that's like the most common um, fertility issue with endometriosis is that um, your egg counts are low. 
So on like average, a woman will retrieve like 10, um, like nine to 10 embryo, like nine to 10 eggs when they do the IVF treatment. And I, I developed 28. We took out 28 eggs. It was ridiculous. I was in so much pain. It was the most painful thing I've ever gone through. I thought I was like, is this what giving birth is? Cause this is it. Like I was crying. You were awake for that? I did it. And it's not. Yeah, oh you're my awake God. for that. Oh my God. Yeah. That. No, and it's that because the beforehand you can take Tylenol to deal with like the pain because it's it's really like the last three days of like the development stage before they take it out that it starts to really mm-hmm. hurt Um, because like your ovaries are full. They're fun. I had 28 eggs and they had kept like, you know, on the sonograms, they would count it and be like, oh, there's, you know, 14, 15, like they would count, but they can't see it really well. And so then, you know, I the night before they're like, OK, no more Tylenol after 10 p.m., no eating, no drinking. So it was like, okay, finally the Tylenol wears off at like three, four in the morning and I wake yeah. up screaming and I was yeah. like, someone get this out of me. I, I thought I was like growing yeah. a demon at that point. I was like, this is not okay. And I was crying the whole way. My, like my husband's driving, my dad's in the backseat, like breathe. It's okay. Take deep breaths. and like trying to like coach me through the pain as we're like getting to the clinic and like, they have me sign the papers on. I'm in so much pain. Like I could I, like just scribble. And like, I'm crying the whole time. And then my husband's like, every other woman that came in after you look like, Hey, what's up? How are you? Good morning. Signed in ready for their retrieval. I was just like, what do you mean? He was like, they didn't have as many as you. No. And I came out of the, I came out of the surgery and I was like screaming for, I was like, I'm in pain. Like then it was empty, but like just so much pain. And I was just like, I, I, they had to like put, they had to give me like morphine or something. It was really like, I was in so much pain. I came out screaming and the ladies next to me in the little uh, room were just like totally fine. And then the nurse was like, oh my God, why are you in so much pain? And she goes, looks at the chart. She goes, oh my God, we retrieved 28 eggs. That's why you're in so much pain. And she ran and got me more medication. She was like, cause the other ladies were already getting dressed and ready to leave. And I was like, I can't even walk. This is horrible. Wow, I can't imagine. The norm is a norm one egg for the retrieval. 14. So the, About 14. It's a 14 is like, like the most, usually 10 to 12 ish is the number the that average. is the average. Uh-huh. And then um, out of those like developing embryos, like it cuts down in each stage. So I then um, 19 of them uh, developed into embryos. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, then there's like the testing of the embryos to make sure they're chromosomally like um, good. Uh, I could, you have to pay for each one that you do. So we only did um, 12 of them. And out of the 12, 11 came out normal. So we still have all of them banked, but 12 of them we know are for sure like chromosome, chromosomes are normal and healthy and we have boys and girls. So we were really happy that like everything worked out really well for that. So we know that, you know, it's going to take a while for everything to work out. Yeah, go ahead. It's your next step now, the IVF? The next step. So we did a, we, I did a a transfer um, last May. We did a transfer and it was successful. I was pregnant for six, for seven or eight weeks. And then I miscarried. Um, and there was, no, it's okay. I know I'm like now getting to a place where I can like talk about it, but it's, but it's also this month is actually, this is all very, like everything worked out really well. Cause this month is also like a pregnancy loss awareness month. Apparently I just learned that. 
Um, so okay. I've been, you know, doing a lot of reading and understanding of how common it is because it's that's like part of the healing is realizing you're not the only one. It's you're right. not alone. And making it common doesn't mean it, lets, it hurts any less. Yeah, yeah. There's but it makes more it easier to it. kind of like be like you're not the only one. Sure, sure. I had the IVF and it didn't take and I found it so excruciatingly painful. And I thought that's it. It's just never going to happen. I'm just, I don't know why. I, was, I mean, you think all these things. And then of course you have people around you that are pregnant that don't really care to be pregnant because they've already had kids or they didn't want to have kids. Or, and you're just looking at this, like, how is life fair? How, you know, like I have all this love to give and all this um, wanting and it's just not happening. Yeah. So I, no. I feel it's you. It's crazy because that literally happened to me. And I love my friend. And there's, I have a close yeah. friend um, who, a year, you know, two years ago when I had first started talking about trying, she was like, I never, never want to have kids. And she just had a beautiful newborn. And I'm like, oh my God. It's like, there's like a pang yeah. to your heart. Like, oh my God. She literally two and years ago was like, I would never have a kid. This would never happen. Right. But it seems and like I'm like, like oh. Isn't it terrible that you are feeling it like you don't want to, but you're feeling it. Mm-hmm. And they feel the same way in the opposite way. Because I remember my sister-in-law got pregnant a couple of months before me. And she had already raised her two boys. They were in high school. So she definitely was done. And here she was pregnant. And she didn't know how to tell me she was pregnant because she felt so horrible. Yeah. And she kept telling me, this isn't fair. I, you know, you should be pregnant. I've raised my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, within her own joy, because of course she was excited and happy she was pregnant to get her baby, but the guilt of knowing that she was so close to me and I wasn't pregnant. So when I got pregnant, it was like, yes, she could breathe. Now yeah. we can have, you know, two <laughs> little pretty meat baths, as we call them, yeah. because, um, which worked out beautifully. That's but um, I'll tell you, I did the IVF. It did not take, which yeah. was, I mean, horrible. Um, and then I did another treatment where it would, it, it would do something else to my body. And I had, I don't really remember again, this was like 28 years ago, but they gave me seven injections mm-hmm. that I had to take seven days after my period began. Whenever my period would start again, seven days later, I had to do these little shots on my thigh. I hate injections. I hate shots. I'm like terrified. I don't do flu shots. Like I just don't like shots. And they gave me seven that it wasn't even the doctor. My husband had to do it for me. So Mm -hmm. total panic. And we were celebrating our seventh year anniversary. So it was like coincidences left and right. And I remember that was back in 1992. So during hurricane Andrew, which devastated all of South Florida and I was living in Miami, it had completely taken our home, our cars, everything, everything we had was gone. So it was like, this crazy crazy time like really I'm gonna do these shots now but we paid so much money for them like you gotta do this forget mm-hmm. everything else we paid we gotta do this um and I I we left on a trip for our our anniversary our seven year anniversary and coincidentally we came here to Tennessee that was one of the first times we came here and I never got my period ever ever I was actually pregnant Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Raquel came in the middle of a storm. Raquel came (laughs) right, yeah, right after a storm. (laughs) Yeah, she was so Hurricane Andrew hit in August. Like, I think it was August 25th of 1992. And Raquel was born in July of 93. 
Oh, wow. So sometimes, sometimes, I mean, there's trauma, right? Um, in your life that kind of puts, I guess, your mental state and your whole system, your whole body changes and, and the pressures. And because they say women go into labor, you know, mm-hmm. during really bad storms because of the barometric pressures and all these different things. So anyway, there was a, a massive shift and I was pregnant and I was able to return all those shots. Thank goodness. So you're just starting. It's a beautiful place you're at um, in moving forward because there's so much hope still. Thank you. Yeah. So does, yeah. does insurance call, uh, cover all these treatments? For and, me, it didn't. And the end? Yeah, I know Florida for sure is bad. My cousin just um, had twins from doing IVF and she, mm-hmm. and she had to pay out of pocket. Wow. And it's, it's it's somewhere between 15,000 and 20,000 if you're paying out of pocket. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that's including the medication. Um, luckily, like I have, I have good health insurance with my school. So I was able to get coverage, but still like out of pocket costs for this last year has been like about $5,000. Wow. And, and like, and then yearly for preserving the eggs and like and having like the freezer space uh, it's a thousand dollar like you're paying rent for the eggs a thousand dollars a year crazy yeah so it's like you have to continue that the the insurance doesn't cover um anytime like they have to put you under like the anesthesia and stuff that's what they're charging you for like there's a few things that the insurance doesn't cover luckily all the injections which are the most expensive part about it um was covered uh and yeah, I'm the same way. Um, Mercy, I can't with with injections. Like it has oh, been God. a struggle for my husband. Um, like, and he feels so badly because like the ones and the thing is like, we just during that time like that you're doing the transfer, you're getting these like really painful injections in like the butt, and it's and like it starts to bruise and bleed when you do it, and it's like mm-hmm. consistently you have to be doing them and continuing them for weeks. That one's like the whole time that you're pregnant or you know preparing to be pregnant so it's like three months worth of shots that's a lot well I'm gonna throw at you um a curveball here so I'm gonna tell you a little bit about faith right so nothing to do necessarily with religion but I'm gonna share facts that were faith-based in my case right um everything I did was science-based because you know, I went, I researched, I need, you know, something wasn't right. The doctors told me you do have endometriosis. It's like one of the, the milder stages. Um, just keep trying. You should be okay. And, and on and on and on. Anyhow, I owned a preschool. I was up, still am obsessed with children. I love kids. It's just like my calling. Um, and I had a preschool. I had opened the preschool two years prior because I figured, well, I'm never going to have kids. It's just looking like it's never going to happen. But I love kids, so I'll have a preschool and I'll have babies and toddlers and infants around me all the time, and I'll be there to serve them, and they'll fill in that void. And I hired right again, right around the same time, um, I hired uh, a lady who I did not need. She was an she came to apply. She was a family member of one of my teachers at the preschool, and she told me I need a job whatever you can pay me. So I told her, oh, it's not a matter of what I can pay you. I really, I don't have a position open for you. And she goes, well, it doesn't matter. Then I'll just volunteer. I go, but I really don't have anything for you to do. And she goes, look, I have five kids. 
Um, I work, we were in Miami, so she goes, she told me I have an hour drive on buses to get to a factory and they pay me per garment. I'm making no money and I'm doing nothing. I would prefer being here with you. You're close to my house. Um, I love what you're doing. This was my calling to be around children. Please give me an opportunity. And I told her, well, you know, I know it sounds terrible and I'm sorry and all these things, but I don't have anywhere to put you. She goes, I'll just be here. I'll be out of your way, but you'll know I'm there because I'll make a difference. I'm like, all right. I didn't know what to do with her. She just wasn't leaving. And it was her. You're talking about. Yes. 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 And it was actually her application was on her 50th birthday. So I'm looking at this and I'm heartbroken. Like, oh, my God, this guy came on her birthday to beg for a job. She doesn't even want to get paid to to take this job. I'm like, okay, I'd be a total legal witch because what am I going to do? But she was so much older than me. I've been 26 at the time. And I said, okay, well, okay, fine. No problem. Thank you. Here, go help the babies or whatever the case is. So then she came up to me and she told me, I know that you're working really hard to get pregnant. And I just want you to know that I've been praying. And I said, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, You know, I've been praying too. My mom prays, everybody prays, everybody's praying, you know? So she goes, okay, but, but I have a connection with the Lord and I'm praying really hard. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. You know, keep praying. And when I was leaving for my anniversary trip, I told her about, so she was really opposed to everything I was doing. The test I did, um, the injections, the IVF, everything. She was like, this is not God's will. I kept telling my husband, I have this lady. She's like a little out there, but whatever. She's super nice and she's helping me. And I'm not even paying her yet. I'm going to put her in payroll next month. And he's like, okay, just, you know, be careful. I'm like, I know, I know. So I'm getting ready to leave. And she tells me, I pray you're not going to need these injections you are pregnant, you're going to have a little girl. And I'm here, I have been sent by God to guard over her to watch over her, she's going to be an angel. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you. That's so sweet. I love it. Thank you. So she tells me have faith, have faith, because he's always watched over you from birth to now he's always had your back. And I'm not here as a coincidence. I'm here because I'm watching over this baby and you are pregnant and I'm like, okay, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. So I leave, um, I'm on the airplane and I tell my husband this whole story. He's like, whoa. I'm like, I know, I know. So anyway, you got to give me these shots and I really don't want them. And so we're talking, whatever. Thankfully, I don't get my period while I'm there because I didn't get the shots. It didn't kill my vacation. So I get back and she goes, you didn't eat the injections, did you? And I told her, well, no, I haven't gotten my period yet. It's when I get my period. And she goes, how about you go next door and take a test and stop, you know, trying our faith here. And I thought, okay. I mean, I did that all the time. Every time I was one day late, mm-hmm. I would take a test. Yeah. Like, okay, this is it. This is So taking a test for me was like nothing. I'm like, sure, I'll take a test. And of course, all my hopes were up because still in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, what if she's right? What if she's right? What if I'm pregnant, right? So I come back, I take the test and I come out and I'm like, oh my God, it's positive. I'm pregnant. She goes, I told you. She goes, maybe you'll learn to listen to me. She goes, and it will be a girl and she will be an angel and she will change your life. And she just went on and on and on. She goes, and you'll have more. She goes, and when you have your children, I'm here to watch over your children. And you in turn will help me raise my kids. And I thought, oh, okay. And that's exactly 
exactly how it played out. Exactly wow. to the T how it played. I had three little girls. My oldest one is an absolute angel. She's unlike anybody I've ever met. Um, and yeah, I was very, very blessed. So there is faith and there is, you know, there is power out there in prayer. And those people that come into your life, you know, stay open to it. Because I, I definitely wasn't. I was oh, no, kind of freaking out a little bit. I but, have, yeah, I have like, you know, the, the Dominican aunties that are like, that I think that are like, have some kind of strange powers um, yeah. their prayer. Like I have one that's like, you know, yeah. my favorite aunt and she's very like, you, you know, that she's like, we always joke like, oh, we got to go to the to pray because we want this to happen. Got, she one. has a connection. Yeah. And so she has she, this yeah, there connection. Are PR, message her to pray for her, pray, pray for them. Like she has a little list and people like donate money to her to pray. And it's a whole thing. And I was just like, it she's the friend. she's been in on it with me the whole time. Like every time I go into her surgery, like I go over and we do, you know, I'm not like, religious religious where you know I'm you know particular to anything because my dad's a Hindu my mother's Catholic so it's like I I straddle this weird place where I do in Hindu sure. prayer and I do Catholic prayers so yeah. me and I do Rosario Rosario whenever we, whenever I feel it and then we do you know then we do the pundit coming over and doing prayers you know it is it, I, I put faith in everything so, you know I, I have faith and that's like enough and whoever is whatever you want to pray to or what you want to pray with me with I'm open to it always that's Absolutely. that's how I am like I wish that you know there there is you know obviously there is the science and there is the you know the faith and there are some things you know faith can't fix but there's you know a lot of uh, moving forward, it, it helps a lot. And, and just like keeping a level head, I think that faith has always been something that is important to me in general, because of that. I think it just keeps me like grounded, mm -hmm. it makes me feel like, okay, there's a reason. We yeah, just gotta keep a bigger plan. Yeah. A bigger plan. And they say our destiny is already pre-written. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we're just impatient, but there's a, a reason behind it. And so many times, right, you hear people older than you say, thank God that happened because this is what I wanted. But because this happened, you know, this is a result. So it's so hard when, when we want what we want, um, when we want it, right, as opposed to, to God's timing. Um, so that's always you know, a sign of hope. So I do, I do have a question. We're talking about support. So we use faith as a system of support. What about your husband? So how has he been through this whole process? I know he's been supportive, but you know, usually when you hear about endometriosis and we're talking about couples, we're focus focusing more on the women than we are the men. So let's talk a little bit about his journey with it. I know he's not here to speak for himself. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's been great. I think that it, he always, before we got married, we didn't live together. So he always knew that I, you know, got really sick. And like, there had been times I'd gotten really sick and had to leave and go home. Or like, if I was really sick, I wouldn't, you know, go see him. So he didn't know the severity of what it looked like until we were married. And I think that that first realization of me, like, waking up in the middle of the night being like, you know, like crying in pain. I think that like, he got scared. He was like, do you need to go to the hospital? Are you okay? Like he was, he was like terrified. And uh, that was, and that like, but he's very supportive and very, you know, um, helpful. I mean, this whole time it's like having to deal with shots, having to deal with 
the mood swings and the hormones. And last year when I had the surgery, I was on a medication that put me through menopause. So it was like hot flashes and moodiness and depression. And, and it's like this constant cycle that he has to, you know, deal with. And I always feel really badly sometimes putting so much on him um, in that way, because it is a lot. And he is also going through it as well. So like, He was just as excited when I had gotten pregnant and just, you know, even though he was here for me and it felt like he was here for me, I know that he was probably going through it and wouldn't, you know, open up about going through it as much as I would, you know, I was, you know, outwardly going through it and, (laughs) and being depressed and all these things. And he was just like trying to keep me together. And I'm very grateful for that because it's like, I I know it can't be easy for him either because it's, we're both going Absolutely. And it's sad that men, um, well, so it's sad that it's taken so long for for us to be able to be outspoken about it and for us to be able to have comfortable conversations on it, right? But how sad is it that they're not there yet? They need to remain like as the man of the house, you know, they're not allowed to grieve the same and they're not allowed to be upset or to cry or to, um, and not that we're not allowing them or or embracing it but so much of our culture does not right well that didn't happen to you she's the one that was going through it but really you're both going through it you really are I remember Um, my uncle had said um my uncle um in Trinidad had called my dad and my other uncle and was like make sure to check on Nikolai make sure to check that he's okay because I know Suhaila's going to be outwardly crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Check on him. And like, they kept telling me, you know, how you do? Like they kept, you know, they were just like checking in on him a lot more because like my uncle's like, make sure you check on him. Cause he's, he's probably going through it and, and, you know, isn't going to say anything. Yeah. And yeah. I think they hurt twice as bad sometimes because they're not only hurting themselves and their loss and everything that's going through, but they're hurting for you too. Yeah. So we can, that's what we're hurting for us. It's all happening. It's us. It's about us. It's mm-hmm. deep inside of our womb and our soul. And it's just so overwhelming, just us. But they're suffering that and then yeah. their own suffering. So yeah, it's, exactly. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's definitely hard. So, but it's you know, been, you know, it's been a journey. <laughs> it's been a journey. We've, we've, and, you know, it's ups and downs, but it's every, you know, it's a, the support helps so much because I can't imagine like my cousin did this alone. She did it as like a single woman because she was getting to 40 and was single. And she was just like, you know what, this is what I want. I want children. And so like, I can't imagine having twin boys by myself and doing this entire IVF process by myself. Like she had her parents, but still like that, that feels very like I, I think it's incredible that she was able to do it because I sometimes don't feel strong enough and I have like a whole tribe of support with my parents and my in-laws. And how awesome that you have somebody so yeah. strong, such a badass woman in your life. Yeah, you I think it's incredible. You. I was just like, this is amazing. And so she just had them. They're healthy. She literally like last weekend. It was so awesome. Boys, so really excited for her. Wow. Yeah. wow. Cousins. Cousins for the future. Yeah more so let's talk a little bit about the IVF uh, process and your experience so how many times and only if you're comfortable speaking yeah. about it how many times were you able to get pregnant mm-hmm. um would you mind talking about it? yeah um the whole process like the IVF like the 
taking the eggs and all that started um, in February. We start like end of February, you start the process of like being on birth control so that you start creating your period and um, like tracking it and then doing the injections. And that's all like a month process. Um, and then they do the egg removals. And then what happens after that is usually like they'll create the embryo. Um, and then which what the embryos are, you can have fresh transfer. I didn't qualify for fresh transfer because despite my endometriosis, I, I create all the normal hormones for uh, pregnancy. So like my hormone levels, like if, cause what the issue is for me is that the endometriosis um, damaged my fallopian tubes. So there's no way for my eggs to travel. So like we have to bypass the fallopian tubes altogether because they're completely damaged. So that, that's why I have to do that. Like IVF is my only option. Um, so that, that like they were like pressed in together when they like untangled it. And so that was what got damaged. So they, so that's my only option is to bypass the fallopian tubes. And so that whole process like um, of doing a fresh embryo transfer, I didn't qualify for because as being like when you're doing the trans, the removal of the eggs, you're on a lot of hormones that increase all those same like pregnancy hormones. And uh, there's a condition that I can't think of the name right now, but it's a condition where it's like, if you get too much of those hormones, it's like a toxic, like it becomes toxic to your body and you end up in the hospital. So fresh transfer wasn't an option for me. We had to freeze the eggs and then um, wait a month for an actual transfer until my hormone levels had gone back to like my natural state of being. So then um, we did the one transfer and I got pregnant. And um, so far I got pregnant. Um, I miscarried uh, at around eight weeks. And then um, since then I've had like two, three periods. And now I'm where we were starting up. Actually, it's like disappointing news. I had uh, literally this happened this week. I was supposed to get my transfer yesterday. Um, and then Thursday I did blood work. And because of the blockages in my fallopian tubes, I have liquid that builds up. It's called hydrosalpinx, I think it is. And, uh, that water didn't cause an issue the first time around, but pretty much this time around my cavity filled up with liquid. And if there's liquid in the cavity, the embryo can't stick anyway. So my transfer was canceled. Wow. Um, and so they, the first time around that didn't happen. And, so she was avoiding having a surgery for that particular condition because it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And now this time around, it did happen. So now they're scheduling me. I have an appointment with a surgeon on Monday to take out the fallopian tubes altogether. Wow. Because then I, I avoid that whole issue of having liquid because it's so unpredictable that mm -hmm. the liquid would flow out into the uterus. Was it and painful? that was what happened. Um, when I'm on my period, when the liquid happens becomes painful. Oh. So two weeks ago, I was in the ER when I, when they did, when I got my period, I was in the ER cause I started like the pain here and I started just throwing up uncontrollably, mm -hmm. couldn't take down any medicine, anything. So I got to the point of dehydration and, and the pain was just like really bad. So I had to go to the hospital two weeks ago. I was in the ER for it. So yeah, that's like. The, it's been rough. And, and that one was a created period with a, with a birth control because we were planning this transfer. So I think that was part of the pain is that it's this artificial um, period as well. Mm -hmm. um, and every time since I've been on birth control, since like around 18 was the first time they put me on birth control to control the endo, 
anytime I come off or um, off of the birth control, I always have a really bad reaction to coming off of birth control and getting like that birth control period. Um, so that has always been um, an issue. And I like, I think almost every time I've ended up in the hospital, every time I come off of the birth control. And um, so that has, that has caused like some of the problem because after like um, you said, Mercy, the, after the actual miscarriage and the being pregnant for that little while, literally the last few periods have been, I've been no pain. I have not felt, it has been like, I didn't even know it was coming. And I was like in shock. And I was just like, cause this is what they tell you. They tell you. And it's like, there are people who are like, this is not true. Like there's no scientific fact that your period, you know, like your endo is healed after pregnancy, but Mm -hmm. it is something that happens on occasion that sometimes it does like heal some of the symptoms of endo and like it goes away. Cause like my mom says her periods are really bad pre having children, but she also had children very young. So it was like, that also is what saved her because I waited till I was 30. The endo had gotten to a point where it had like taken over my system. But let's say if I had tried to get pregnant at 20, I probably would have had an easier time because my fallopian tubes wouldn't have been damaged yet. Or, you know, cause it's, it's all like every single period, what it is with endo is every single period you develop more. Mm. So like every time it just becomes, that's why birth control suppresses the growth because it stops you from having real, like, it's not a real period. So it suppresses um, the endo from growing any further. And that's why that's one of the, you know, major things that or one of the only things that they give women with endo to help control their endometriosis is birth control. And Even so- though all the side effects are terrible. Like I hate being on birth control so much. It's such a it's, it sucks. Cause it's like, I hate the fee. I get bloated. I feel, you know, like I gain weight when I'm on birth control. And it's like the, the difference of like the way you feel hormonally when you're not on birth control is incredible. Sure. So it sucks that like, that was the thing that, you know, is the only thing that helps me from developing more endo. Mm-hmm. And that's, and then like, it really is like such a terrible solution. I wish there was another solution to it. And there's not many right now. Like the other thing is what they gave me last year, Lupron, but that go, you go through menopause, you just don't get a period. And so it's like, imagine being 30 and feeling like my mother hasn't even gone through menopause yet. She's now in her like early stages of menopause. And she's just like, and last year I was like, oh, I've been through it. My knees were hurting. My, I was like an old lady. I was like, I was turning on the AC in the middle of winter. It was, it was terrible. So the, the options are birth control and menopause. Yep, because right. the two, medication, two other medications they have for endo um, is Lupron and one called Orlissa, which I haven't tried before. Mm-hmm. But the Lupron, um, that one is, yeah, it like suppresses your period and it pretty much gives you menopause. And the reason they put me on that one specifically for the surgery is because it also helps loosen the tissue. So that when you go into surgery, you have like, less chance of like pulling or scarring or damaging of your like uterine um, and all the, you know, like all those delicate areas. So it helps like pull apart those lesions so that it's easier to get off, to scrape away. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, you know, then it was like, my knees were hurting constantly. My, like I was gaining weight. All the the joints hurt, you're hot, you're sweaty, you're sticky. Yeah. Yeah. My smell was different. Even my husband noticed that he was like, when you, when you sweat, you smell different. Like he was like, 
yeah my sweat was like smelly like it was not my normal like I didn't smell like myself yeah. and you wake up and the sheets are drenched and you're like what how did this happen yeah <laughs> it was bad like drenched drenched I would be like, like out of the blanket or, yeah a hose yeah. all over you and they're just drenched and you wake up like how why am I so hot like you're not hot at that point when you wake up but yeah. clearly you've had that much sweat come out so it's like in the middle of the night most of the sheets yeah. take a shower it's yeah it's intense yeah. Oh, it's, wow. it's a lot I think you're halfway hopefully towards the end line of you know of a beautiful um, ending to your story um and I appreciate really your you know your openness and your selflessness to share this story with so many others that might be going through the same thing or have you know concerns about it um I would love to invite you and I, I know I speak for Priya um, also to invite you to come and share as your journey continues, you know, your next chapter, um, so that our listeners can also, I'm sure they're going to be, you know, in love with, with, with you and, and your sweetness and everything you're going through. And that way we can keep them updated with, with your next chapter. Um, and, you know, I can't, we can't thank you enough for, for being so kind and sharing such a hard story with us, but, Again, you know, it, it'll have a beautiful ending. I have no doubt. I have faith, you know. Um, so I think it's going to be a beautiful, a beautiful journey moving forward. I, I 100% agree. And um, before we end today's episode, um, do you have any advice or I hate the word tips, like in the situation, but do you have any advice for other women that are going through this? Uh, go, go see a, a gyno early go when you feel the pain that the pain is not uncontrollable um make them see you because too many times I had been in the emergency room I remember being there at like 27 so now I'm 31 at 27 I was in the emergency room and the person who did my CAT scan or whatever was like oh it looks like you have slight endometriosis um that's why you had this pain and I was like okay but what does that mean about fertility because that's always been something in the back of my head I had already been married I was married already like a year at that point and I was just like what about fertility and she goes you're young it will be fine and I and oh maybe you should she said oh maybe you should see a specialist this is the ER doctor maybe you should see a specialist but I doubt it's going to be an issue and then come to 30 there you know like going from 29 to 31 and not being able to conceive and and just like going through this and not realizing like there was a, a huge issue and nobody was addressing it and people were acting like it was, it was fine and it wasn't that bad. Um, Cause at 27, then I would have gone if she was like, no, you should see somebody now and start, you know, your process. Maybe I could have saved myself. Maybe I could have saved my fallopian tubes if I had ca caught it four years earlier, you know? And that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's knowing and, and understanding that like, this could affect your future. And if you have that understanding early, like you can make different decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it would have stayed on birth control. I got off of birth control because of the way it was making me feel, but then my endo became uncontrollable. Wow. And so, and I ended up in a place where like, I couldn't have kids anyway, because I was, you know, I was, I wasn't on birth control, but I still couldn't get pregnant. So it's, so it's, it's that understanding that there was like a disconnect with what doctors were telling me. 
Um, and until I saw my doctor that I'm with now who did my surgery, like who just immediately, as soon as I gave her my symptoms before doing the, the work, she's like, sounds like you have endometriosis. Let's do the next step. And she immediately was like, you know, very, and she's a good friend of my mother's. And um, so it just became like, you know, that's who I go to for everything. And as soon as my surgery was over, she's like, okay, go see a fertility clinic. This is what, you, these are the steps you have to take. Um, Cause this is you, we need to make sure that we know what's going on. And I was like, if somebody had told me that at 27, like, Hey, go get yourself checked, go make sure that everything's okay. Make them give you testing and and, you know, ask for the help that you need, then, you know, you wouldn't be in this situation, maybe, you know, what, what five years worth of periods, sure. but that it's could do period normal. was not normal. Yeah. And it wasn't, yeah. And it's not it's, normal. It's Take action. Mm-hmm. And I told, and I, it's so funny because I had a student the other day, she sat next to me and she was like in pain from cramps. So mm. I started sharing with her because I teach middle school. And I was, you know, sharing with her about my experience. And she was just like, it's not fair that women have to show up to work or school when they feel like this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're right. And I was like, and I was so like, just like kind of proud. I was like, this generation of women, these young girls, they know that this is wrong. Yeah. And I was like, cause at me at 13, I was like, this is what I have to go through. Mm -hmm. This is what, you know, like. I was putting it on me. Like, this is, this is what you're a girl. You're going to have to deal with this. Like, just go home, call your parents to pick you. And my parents have always been really like, under, they're just like, you're not feeling good. Good. You're staying home or we'll pick you up from school right away. And they've always been really great. And they never made me feel like ashamed or that the pain was, you know, that I was making up the pain or I was being, you know, weak. I had, Mm -hmm. I had tons of school nurses who were like, everybody gets their periods, Suhaila. Like, why are you being so dramatic? And I'm just like, what, what do you mean? Um, and so that's what, like, that, that they're, they're speaking to you like that, you know? They're just like, we all get our periods. Then I'm just like, but I I'm, don't feel okay. I'm throwing up, I'm in pain. I can't sit in class. Like, what do you mean? And so when I was talking to that girl, I was like, just that attitude shift in young girls is like, that's that's all we need we need the push from the, this next generation to be like no this is not okay i'm not feeling okay this is not right that women have to do this that there are you know like this is not normal women shouldn't feel this much pain and for women at that age to recognize that is different because i wasn't doing that at that age it didn't come to me until i was in my late 20s where i was like this is not fair not right I'm at a disadvantage. I miss classes. I don't, you know, I can't get work done. I can't, you know, these are, this is a, a physical disadvantage. Right. And we were feeling was also not the norm. So it's, it's not normal. Not like this is not somebody to tell you, oh, it's okay. Everybody else goes through it because they didn't know your true pain. Yeah. And then it's like the, the brushing off of it being like, this is normal. And it's like, no, women shouldn't actually be in this much pain on their periods. It's not normal. It's not normal. Yeah. So if, you know, if you're having a period and it's, it doesn't feel normal and you know that everything kind of stops, you're, you know, either throwing up or you need heating pads and Motrin and Advil and Aleve. If you can't function like a regular, if you can't can't function function a regular day, then then something's wrong. If you can't function, it's something's wrong. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's a matter of like making doctors listen to you or, 
or seeking out those doctors who will listen to you because that it definitely I was brushed off a lot for you know for my pain when I was younger and that's another important message so we if we have any women listening or dads listening and their child is experiencing really bad period pain get them checked out listen to them listen yeah Yeah, that's the most important thing is listen and 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 understand because it's really like it's real the pain's real and it's not you know and it doesn't go away there's no you know cure right now so it's a matter of waiting and as awareness gets better like it's so funny because I never used to hear about women having this I felt really alone at that age when I was in in high school and stuff like I thought I was the only person and now like through social media and like all these things these platforms like you know, it's, you know, endo and black and all these different platforms that are just like speaking out about it and like showing people that this is not awareness. The awareness is hopefully reaches to a point where it becomes like, you know, possibilities for our next generation to really like keep this at bay and not end up having $15,000 in, you know, fertility, fertility treatments, because, Mm -hmm they you know didn't know what was somebody didn't realize it earlier yeah because that's a lot I like I'm very lucky that you know and I have family that has helped me financially through it but if I didn't have that where would I be they're you know not you know stuck and not you know years or I would spend the you know years in debt just to have a child and lots of women go through that and that's really rough yeah you would have had no kids you would have been in pain you would have been yeah yeah so i'm glad i'm glad that that you're a warrior and that you've gone through everything you've gone through and that you're sharing it and bringing awareness out and, and i'm really happy that priya you know found you and that you're open to share because you know you bring hope to a whole new generation yeah. um and others you know who can share on the comments of our podcast and mm. share their experiences and, and share advice of things that they have gone through as well. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Suhaila, for being our guest today. You were just amazing. Thank you for sharing your story, your pain, your hope, um, your faith. Um, and we, we hope to have you back again, um, hopefully when things have shifted for you in a positive direction and some changes have happened but why don't you tell our guests how they can reach you because I know you've also spoken about this on your own platform yeah so you can follow me on Instagram at, at Suhaila it's uh, Z-U-H-E-I-L-A and I'm also um a, at Suhaila at YouTube also on YouTube as well thank you everyone for listening this is the I'm speaking podcast with Mercy and Priya and we're here speaking because you've asked <laughs>